Ah, thank you for the gentle press of the play button as we get into another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, and I'm the host of this podcast. Now, if you're new here, let me give you the rundown. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. We started as a blog in 2010, then developed into a podcast in 2014, and became a 501c3 nonprofit in 2016. And since then, we create various forms of content, like this podcast, where we talk about the cross-section of leadership and being a Latter-day Saint. So this episode that you're about to hear is a good example of the type of content we produce. As I've had opportunity to meet many people in this listening audience, one thing I've heard several times is that we are never afraid to talk about any specific topic. I hope that's the case because we recognize that church leaders don't always get to pick the conversation topics that they have with those they lead. So hopefully we can offer a model of how to discuss difficult topics on this podcast that will then in turn give you more confidence to step into whatever tough conversation finds you on your journey of leadership. Now in 2023, it is almost impossible for leaders to avoid conversations related to the LGBT community. Some prefer the acronym SSA for same-sex attraction. And let me quickly insert here that if you're looking for as many resources related to LGBT SSA Latter-day Saint experiences, I encourage you to consider two things. Check out our LGBT Saints virtual library, which you can listen to at no cost at leadingsaints.org 14. Also, check out the upcoming North Star Conference happening in June of 2023. It is a remarkable conference, and I'll be there. They have a free leadership track that is incredibly helpful, and I'll put the link to those details in the show notes. Now, back to this episode. I want to focus on the T in LGBT, which stands for transgender. For many leaders, including myself, it's easiest to simply avoid these conversations. They're too complex, too many opportunities to say the wrong thing. What if I'm too condoning? What if I'm not loving enough? What if I state the doctrine correctly or incorrectly? What if they don't like my interpretation of such doctrine? Ah, it's just too much to consider. Believe me, I wrestled with recording this episode because of these thoughts and concerns. The episode you're about to hear is a conversation I had with a transgender friend of mine. Whomever you are, I warn you, you'll disagree with things said in this episode. Some of you may disagree with things that my guest says. Others will disagree with things that I say. However, this episode isn't about laying out the correct doctrine or, or stating truth or weighing the value of one opinion over the another. Believe me, that's way above my pay grade. And to be clear, at Leading Saints, we hold true and believe in all doctrines, policies, and prophetic revealed truth. What this episode is about comes down to one question, and that is, does every individual deserve to have a loving and respectful conversation with their church leader? Let me repeat that. Does every individual deserve to have a loving and respectful conversation with their church leader? Now, let me expound on that question with a few more questions. No matter what decisions someone has made in their life, do they deserve a place to sit with us in the church pews on Sunday? No matter what name they were given at birth or the pronouns they request to be called today, should they have a ministering brother or sister visit them in their home? No matter what someone believes about who they are or the eternal nature of their gender, does everyone deserve to be understood? So with that said, let this episode stand as an imperfect example of how to simply sit with someone in their life experience and give them a listening ear, a simple conversation, and maybe even a hug. 
So here's my interview with my friend, Catherine Herman. Today, I'm with Catherine Herman. Welcome to the Leading Saints podcast, Catherine. Hi, Kurt. It's great to be with you. Yeah, this is uh, I'm excited for this discussion. We were just commenting before we hit record that we're both just interested how this podcast will go and we're the ones in it. So here we go. Right. I, I know. Keep your arms and legs inside the right at all times. Because <laughs> I don't know. This could go up like a rocket. That's I don't right. know. Now, I feel like we've been friends for a few years. At least I've met you, I don't know, four or five years ago through just being involved with North Star and attending conferences there. And you've attended several North Star conferences. And for those not familiar, North Star is a nonprofit organization dedicated to building community amongst LGBT Latter-day Saints who are striving to keep their covenants. That's probably not the perfect explanation of North Star, but we'll go with it for now. You can go to northstarlds.org for all the details there. But you recently wrote a book and you reached out to me a few months ago when it was published. And the book is called Translucent, How I Put Off My Natural Man and Discovered a Spiritual Woman. And this is just, this is your story, right? Of being a transgender woman in as a Latter-day Saint. Yes, it is. And there's so much to talk about that we'll get into. Now, I just want to, and I'll probably preface some of this in the introduction I record, but some people I think will look at in conversation like this. And sometimes there's this stigma that like even having a conversation with someone, a transgender man or woman like yourself, it, there's almost this overly too affirming or condoning effort in that. And I'm sure I think that's part of your story, right? You, there's been moments where you felt ignored, especially by church leaders, because they won't even have a conversation with you. Is that a fair description? That's true. Most people don't know what to do in so many different senses of they're afraid to have a conversation, of they're afraid of saying the wrong thing that might be offensive. Right. Believe me, I've heard it all. You're not going to surprise me with anything you say or any of your questions. Yeah. And I've been dead named. I've been misgendered. But also you get a thing in the church of, well, what is their standing in the church? Yeah. And, you know, can I talk to this sinner? And I don't agree with what they're doing, but how do I still love them or include them? in things that are happening in the church. And it's really kind of new. And also, there's a lot of stuff, not only in the church, but a lot of stuff happening outside the church politically and socially and culturally around the world, and especially in the United States right now. And so given that as a background, the cultural understanding of what it means to be transgender has been changing and ebbing and flowing. And so dealing with that also makes it difficult yeah. of of that. So, yeah, and we'll probably talk more about, you know, what happens in the church and what yeah, exactly. doesn't. Yeah, especially, you know, the transgender issue it seems like it's becomes with each passing 6 months, you know, in the political world or society, it becomes more and more of this hot topic. And the more of this sort of 
polarizing topic becomes as a church leader, many church leaders feel, I don't even want to go near that conversation. And unfortunately, the easiest path for church leaders, well-intentioned church leaders who we love and often sustain is it's easier just to ignore the conversation. And, and unfortunately, that leads to a lot of hurt for someone like you who feels like yeah, you're ignored or my church leader or somebody won't even talk to me. So I hope this conversation, I don't have any clear agenda with this conversation other than to maybe model what a conversation may look like. I consider myself sort of the average of all church leaders. I've been in certain callings. I sort of know the dynamics and a lot of these situations feel impossible to reconcile, but hopefully we can at least model what simple conversation will look like. And I really believe that everybody, every Latter-day Saint who has a church leader deserves to have an open and authentic conversation with their church leader. Well, it doesn't get any more simple than me. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Catherine, let's jump into your story a, a little bit. I want to touch on the high points. And obviously, I really, and I'll say up front, like I really enjoyed your book. It was a, it was a page turner for me just to hear like, you know, just to where how you allowed the reader into your story to observe it and understand the, the tricky dynamics that you face, to say the least, of growing up as a Latter-day Saint in a very orthodox, faithful home. And, and so let's go into your story and then I'll ask the tough questions or the questions that will get me in trouble or, or, and then, or get you in trouble or whatever. So we'll go for that. <laughs> we'll find out who gets in the most trouble. Yes. Out of I love it. Who All gets right. a call from their state president this <laughs> That's evening? Right. So where does uh, your story begin? Where were you, were you born? I was born in Los Angeles. I'm a California girl. Nice. Love the beach, the mountains, the malls and Disneyland. Uh -huh. So pretty orthodox home, right? I mean, Going oh, to yeah. church, she did all the things. Yes, I have pioneer ancestors uh, that crossed the plains in the Martin Willie Handcart Company. So yeah, a very LDS family going back generations. So yeah. now this even the, the in the beginning of this are talking about being born <laughs> as uh, someone who's transgender. I think most you would say it's more comfortable to say you were assigned at birth male where others may say you were born as a biological male right and and i don't know what is that more offensive to you or like how how do you jump into that dynamic oh yes i have this body which is really weird that i have a hard time identifying with but yeah you would most people would say yeah i have a male body mm -hmm. i have fathered seven children so mm -hmm. it apparently works yeah uh, <laughs> and but nonetheless i mean However you put it, you were born a biological male or with a male body, right? Yeah. And then, so just growing up in the church, like even, because from what I understand, as I've talked to many other transgender individuals, it's not where, you know, somewhere along the line, the LGBT, you know, terms or, or LGBT uh, initials, whatever it is, grouped in the transgender T with the LGB. But in reality, it's really a quite a different experience, right? It's a totally different experience. LGB only refers to your sexual orientation of which genders you're attracted to. And I'm attracted to females like me. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not like me, but, but to other yeah. females. And so I identify as lesbian and gay. And so you have gay men who are attracted to other men. And so that's your sexual orientation of the LGB part. The T part is how you identify in gender. Now, trans means to cross over. So I've crossed over and I don't identify with my male assigned at birth identity. I identify as female. 
And that goes way back to a young age of, I told my parents when I was three years old. And so that would have been around the late 60s. And transgender as a word hadn't even been uh, formed until I believe 1972. Mm. And so before that, they were using transsexual in other words, but transgender wasn't a word until 1972. Yeah. And so apparently that didn't go well. I don't remember anything of it, but other than I needed to hide it and bury it. And so I tried to grow up being that boy that my parents and society saw. But as the problem is, is that as puberty progresses, and the hormones start to change of uh, you start getting those increase in testosterone, probably around six or seven years old, not a lot, but it starts. And so as puberty starts to start at that age, the more the testosterone grew in my system, the more the dysphoria grew. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the more your body is changing in ways that you don't want, it becomes worse. Yeah. And now gender dysphoria, that's like the clinical term that you'll often hear around transgender uh, people, right? Maybe unpack what what do you mean when you say gender dysphoria? And then how does it feel for you in your experience? That's the hardest thing is to how to explain what it feels like. What it is, is that you just don't feel like you're in the right body. You don't identify with it. If you look in the mirror, you don't see yourself. You see somebody there and you recognize that it's your physical self there, but you totally just don't see yourself. It's not you looking back. It's this other thing looking back at you. And that's really kind of disturbing. And you want to do other things. You, As a trans girl, I wanted to be with the girls. I wanted to be doing the things the girls were doing, playing jump rope and jacks. And I wanted the long hair and to be wearing the dresses and doing all of those things that the other girls were doing. Unfortunately, I didn't have any sisters in my family. I just had an older brother. And so I didn't have access to any of those things. And I didn't dare go to my parents for something like that. Mm -hmm. And so all of that had to be squashed down and buried. But dealing with that and the feeling of the dysphoria is the classic answer we usually hear is it feels like being carsick because your outside world is moving differently than your inside world. Mm. I don't get carsick, so I don't know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. So how I tried to describe it as, as a feeling of say you're going to an important interview or a date or that, and you spill spaghetti sauce under the front of your shirt or blouse. Uh You can't change. Mm. And you've got to go and you're just incredibly self-conscious, right? You're going, everybody's going to see this. They're going to see that. And I'm embarrassed. Judgment off of it, right? Like, yeah, what a snob or, you know, like they can't. Why didn't they change or, yeah. Yeah. And so you just have that whole nagging feeling of, I want to change this. I wish I could get rid of this and change, mm-hmm. but you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Now, while you're in your interview or you're doing things, you might have a great time and forget about it. Mm-hmm. You might forget that you have that stain that's been bothering you. And you might have a good time for a while, but then something will happen. You'll pass by a mirror or something, or you'll look down or something, and you'll something, it'll come back to your attention, and you'll go, oh, yeah, right. 
I really need to change that this is bothering me. This is not what it's supposed to be. This is not how I'm supposed to look. And so that's how I experienced that gender dysphoria was this constant nagging feeling that things needed to be different. Yeah. That this isn't how I'm supposed to be, that this isn't what I'm supposed to look like. And that nagging feeling just got worse and worse as puberty went, and it never goes away unless you're doing something to take your mind completely off, unless you can, can distract yourself. Yeah. But the other way you can medicate it, as it were, is by doing things that correct it. So when I would do girl things, like if I could get a hold of a skirt and wear that, then that would help with the feeling because it would be normalizing myself. It would be moving me to where it wants me to be and telling me where I need to be. And so the more that, probably not the right word, but you know, the more you do to have that feminine energy for Mm -hmm. me of wearing makeup or wearing a dress or something, or, you know, being able to be in some way externally female and express that, then the gender dysphoria would be go away or lightened. And that that gender dysphoria from reading your experience and and hearing others, it's like going, especially going through those teenage years and going through puberty, it's like that incongruency that you feel becomes more emboldened and sort of ramps up sort of this, the stress and anxiety and the, the, you know, often manifesting in some mental health concerns that way. Is that a fair way to frame it? Yeah. Well, in your teenage years, your testosterone is spiking. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. As every male in the audience knows, you mm-hmm. know, your testosterone is off the charts. And so that is just making it worse as your testosterone levels grow. So in those teenage years, were you, I mean, from the, your surrounding loved ones or ward or whatnot, did it just seem like, wow, you know, Catherine seemed, obviously they didn't call you Catherine at that time, That's but nonetheless, but th- this Catherine is obviously appearing like to, as a troubled teen or having some extreme, like, did you come across as a very quiet teenager that seemed like they were, you know, depressed or, or what, what was the outside loved ones looking at, you know? towards you experiencing I don't know, horrible way to frame that, but that there it is. Probably yes, but probably not for this reason. I was a bit of a geek nerd. My father was into computers and I discovered the Lord of the Rings in, in fifth grade. Okay. And so I got into fantasy. My brother got into science fiction and my father got us a, a computer, and so, and I was playing Dungeons and Dragons in 1980. So, awesome. um, I was a lot different than the other kids at that point in time, where all the guys were into basketball or wrestling and sports and things. And that, just, while I played soccer, which I loved, I was no good at basketball or baseball or football and those things. And so I had no ability to make friends with the other guys in my ward and that because we just had no none of the same interests. I'm like Dungeons and Dragons. And they're all like, what? So you were that sort of persona, that nerd persona of Lord of the Rings and Dungeons, right? You just sort of escaped to that sort of like you're talking about. I could sort of distract you from this quote unquote, you know, spaghetti stain on your shirt, right? You could you could cope with those types yeah. of things. Well, well, I don't know that that was part of coping with the gender dysphoria, but it was just that's where my interests were. Okay. 
And so my interests were totally different from everybody else. Gotcha. Today, kids all over the place are playing Dungeons and Dragons and yeah. love Marvel and Star Wars and everything. And that was just not the norm back then during the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And so, or even into the 80s. So, yeah. So I was always kind of an outsider, but also having this being transgender was also a problem because I didn't identify with the guys. I didn't want to be spending my time with the guys in the ward. I wanted to be spending my time with the girls, but it just wasn't an avenue available to me. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. did. I couldn't go to young women's and the girls just saw me as this boy. And so they weren't including me in anything and they never would think to include me in anything. Yeah of their girl things. And so it would be awkward. I mean, how could I ask to go hang out with the girls and how to explain it at that time is next to impossible because nobody had any idea about any of this. Yeah. So, you know, speaking in a broader concept about uh, transgender youth, because this is a really hot topic in, in April of 2023, as far as, you know, transition surgeries and things for youth and there's laws and it's, you know, being debated and whatnot. Just from your perspective and and with hindsight of your own experience, I mean, how do you see all that debate? Oh, it's a bit overwhelming at times. I liken it to the laws that were enacted against uh, Blacks 100 years ago. And where could Blacks go to the bathroom? What drinking fountains could they use? What hotels could they stay in? And those sort of civil rights laws that were passed around in various states regulating the where our black citizens could go and what they could do. And so the Jim Crow laws. And so I liken these sort of laws that are happening today with transgender is very similar to those sorts of Jim Crow laws of they want to regulate where I can go to the bathroom and things. It may not be as bad, but from my point of view, it feels that way Mm. of those sort of legal things. I understand the intention behind it, and I think it's being brought on by a lot of bad actors in the transgender space and in the LGBT community of pushing on this. And, you know, I believe women should have safe spaces. I don't want to endanger other women. I don't want men taking advantage of these things and that totally. I'm there and down for all of that. But the question is, is then what are my rights mm-hmm. and what am I able to do? Yeah. And what does a trans girl can do? And the issue is that it, there's a difference between the trans kids and trans adults like myself. I obviously wasn't able to transition when I was a teen or prepubescent, but kids can do that now. And, and I'm fine with that. But I'm fine with it as long as they're actually transgender, because I think right now that there is um, a lot of kids that there is. I'm probably one of those few transgender people who will tell you that, yeah, I believe there's a social contagion. I believe that the vast majority of girls who are transitioning are transgender, that they are medicating their teenage angst and anxiety by trying to escape their femininity to some neutral stance where they don't have to deal with being a girl in today's society. And they are identifying as non-binary or calling it transgender. And they are 
changing their appearance, and they are even sometimes doing medical transition of either hormones or surgery as part of that. And I think a lot of them are going to regret it. And so I'm all for regulating those sorts of things to make sure that there's the gatekeeping in place to make sure that these kids are really transgender and that this is really going to help them. And so I'm for that. Yeah. Because it seems like we just don't, just from my, you know, I'm obviously very separated from, you know, I'm not looking at this issue day in and day out, living it, you know, like, like you are. And so, but it seems like we just don't know enough about this transgender experience, especially in those youth and teenage years. And it is concerning to, you know, obviously it's difficult to be a teenager, no matter what other dynamics you deal with. And so, like you said, sometimes there's these natural anxieties and especially going through puberty and hormones and things that make life confusing and make feelings confusing. And so it it is concerning to have a parent who's, who wants to be loving and supporting to their child, but gets it wrong and assumes transgender and then makes adjustments medically that can never be reversed. Well, from the research I do of reading studies and that that come to my attention and talking to people and that, it's my, okay, I'm not a doctor or a therapist. <laughs> Neither I, of us are. We're just talking. I, I'm, I'm not any professional <laughs> accredited person at all. I'm not even a Supreme Court nominee. So <laughs> this is Catherine's opinion about this. And so this is my understanding. Don't weaponize it. But my feeling and experience is if your kid is coming out in the ages somewhere around 11, 12, 13 years old and saying I'm transgender, they're probably not. Hmm. If your kid showed signs or told you like when they were two, three, four, five years old, they probably are. Although there's a good chance that one of the studies I've read showed that those who said that they were transgender at an early age, like I did at three, they will either grow out of it and be gay by age nine or 10, or it will not desist and will not go away. And they w- they are transgender. Yeah. So it really depends. And my experience talking to parents of transgender kids, those that I feel really are, those parents knew at a young age with their child was at a young age of three or four or five years old. A lot of parents, when it comes out at that age, they don't believe it. They try to suppress it. But what they find is that after a year of therapy and fighting it and trying not to encourage it and everything, that when they start allowing some social transition, their child is much happier. And they finally get to full transition and their kid is alive and thriving and happier than ever. And they know that it's the right thing. So I trust parents in these cases. And so to know, but as I said, there's a big difference between kids who come out as transgender when they're five years old or less. And then the kids who come out at 11 and 12 and say, oh, I feel this way. And especially if you find out they've been watching TikTok videos or on YouTube and they're watching these gender uh, sources where they're learning these things and they start to question it and go, yeah, I don't feel like a boy. And maybe they're 
maybe they're a little the girls are a little butch maybe they feel a little tomboy but it doesn't mean that they're a boy and so a lot of these videos and stuff kind of brainwash them to a point of where they start transferring those feelings and those anxieties of normal teenageness or and not necessarily feeling all that feminine to being oh i must be a boy and then they decide that they are and what they also happens is they get the attention because once they come out on their TikTok profile and say i'm really a boy and i'm i'm transgender they get thousands of likes mm. and they get tens of thousands of followers and they get this cheering squad that's saying oh you're doing great do this do this do this and it cheers them on and so they end up going down this path yeah and so i i feel really bad for them and i wish that wasn't happening and i hope this craze would end but the problem is is i get caught in the middle of it right because how do you stop this fad going on of stopping these kids from doing these things without impacting it for the kids that are historically transgender has been about three in a thousand people and but now it's you know a couple percent of people identifying as non-binary or gender fluid and all of these other things which have in my view unfortunately been put in with the transgender category so that transgender is this umbrella term for all of this uh, gender confusion, as President Oaks would probably call it. Uh, <laughs> and I frankly don't like it associated with me. Yeah. Please join us for part two of this podcast.